the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. Hour number two is underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock on a Wednesday. It's the 10th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks also to Congressman Jim Jordan, and I hope we can continue to call him Congressman Jim Jordan after the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, it is unbelievable what is happening in the state of Ohio. I have long complained about the extraordinary, horrific leadership of the Ohio Republican Party both as a party and as uh, leaders in the General Assembly, but uh, never like what we're going to have and what we're going to hear over the course of the next several months if this district map thing turns out to be the final map as they try to run the most competent, the most aggressive, the most passionate advocate for the people that we have in the state of Ohio out of Washington, D.C., from his own party. Uh, Simply unbelievable. All right, so that was Jim Jordan last half hour. Now let's welcome Peter Kirsten out to our program. Peter was kind enough to push uh, his appearance from Tuesday to Wednesday because of our pre-born donor campaign yesterday. And by the way, Pete, one second. I want to say thank you to everybody. We managed to bust through our goal of 200 babies saved yesterday in our just two-hour show. They set goals that are that are intended for three- and four-hour broadcasts all across the Salem radio network, all across the country. We smashed that goal in just our two-hour show because of the incredible kindness and concern and passion and, and belief in life of the audience that we have in, on this program. So thank you to everybody who donated to Preborn yesterday. Simply phenomenal response. Now I'll bring Peter Kersenau back in. Peter, or in for the first time. Peter is, of course, a member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, an author, a columnist, and a lawyer. And he's our very uh, favorite guest each week on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Pete, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, Bill. It's a beautiful day in Cleveland, Ohio. Not a cloud in the sky. The leaves are amazing. Um, always puts everybody in a good mood. 
Yeah, no question about it. Until, of course, we start to see what is being done to our beloved country. And then that mood tends to disappear just a little bit. Let's go, Brandon. Yeah, let's go, Brandon, indeed. Peter, there's so much grist for the mill here. Uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time deciding where to start. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go uh, the tail end of what I talked with Jim Jordan about I want to lead with you on. And this is <clears throat> the admission and the acknowledgement from the White House. And eventually, after he got his, himself confused and was told what to, the new policy is going to be by his superiors in the White House, regarding the payment of illegal aliens who were temporarily separated from their children after they broke our laws and came across the border illegally during the Trump administration. This is 24 seconds. I'll get your reaction. Uh, probably be better. Hold on a second here. We got to make sure we're connected. Let's try this one more time. Sure. If in fact, because of the the outrageous behavior of the last administration, you coming across the border, whether it was legal or illegal, and you lost your child, you lost your child. It's gone. You deserve some kind of compensation, no matter what the circumstance. What that will be, I have no idea. So originally he said the entire report when he came back from Glasgow and the climate uh, summit garbage, he said that's a garbage report that we're going to pay people who came across here illegally. Uh, then he was told by his superiors that, no, we really are. And he said, okay, well, then it can't be $450,000. Pete, I don't care if it's 45 cents. We cannot incentivize people to bring children across this border. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at the polling data and again, I go to the least important aspect of this and that's the polling data. But it is relevant, of course, as to whether or not this thing is going to proceed because they do put their finger to the wind to some extent, uh, even though they are increasingly authoritarian and really don't care what the people think. But nonetheless, 70 percent of Democrats don't think this is nuts. You know, independents and Republicans, it's, it's approaching 90 to 100 percent. This is craziness on steroids. You know, it used to be you'd be talking about a difference in opinion, a difference in policy. Now it's the difference between sanity and insanity. Much of the Democratic Party, let's face it, uh, and again, this is not partisan. It's a simple reflection of objective reality. Much of the Democratic Party has gone absolutely insane. And I think people are recognizing that and it was evinced in the, the election on Tuesday. But nonetheless, um, I, there's another bigger and overarching question to this. I mean, this is a huge deal, but I, you've alluded to it, uh, more than alluded to it. You, you talked about it directly, and that is who's running the country. And that's a serious issue. This is not the first time the president has come out and said X, and then later walked it back and, and basically said, you know, look, it's, it's Y. Uh, somebody out there is controlling the president. And by that, I don't mean that, you know, there's some kind of, uh, you know, that Vladimir Putin is doing it or a lot of things that Democrats like to ascribe to, say, a Trump or something. Yeah. But nonetheless, there are unelected people, invisible to us, who have their own agenda, who are not accountable to the people who are controlling the president. Because he's clearly not in control of himself, as he's seen the polling data, most people think, what they see with their own two eyes is he is not competent, he is not making decisions, he doesn't know what the heck is going on, and it's especially extraordinary considering this guy's been in government for 50 years, and he still doesn't know how the levers of power work. What was he doing for 50 years besides napping, even before he became senile? This issue of $450,000 to illegal aliens is, I, I can't think of the appropriate adjective. Travesty is far too mild. It is so infuriating. And, you know, what's interesting about this, this is not the first time Democrats 
have raised this kind of thing. We had this issue arise a few years ago at the Civil Rights Commission. Remember what I've always told you. If you want to know what the left has planned for America um, five years from now, come to a Civil Rights Commission hearing today, because that's where they try out all their stuff. And there were these advocates who came out and said a whole host of things with respect to how we should be treating illegal aliens. But one of them was that they should be receiving compensation. This was right around the time of the alleged Trump, the kids in cages thing. Uh, So we had seen the smoke signals here that they were going to go down this path. Giving $450,000 apiece to legal aliens is not only an abomination and will it uh, act as a giant magnet for everybody in the world to come here, $450,000, that is, think about the average income for a lot of people in third world countries. I mean, you're talking about setting them up for life, basically. Heck, if I were from, say, Zambia or Ghana or one of the Central American countries, i just come across the border as you know, coyotes do with somebody in tow, wait for my $450,000, then go back to my home where I would be the equivalent of a multimillionaire. Yeah. This is an astonishing thing. It's, it's so ridiculously stupid. And, 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 that, part and of it, that part of it, Pete, is big, the, the amount. But, but Biden walked that part back and said, well, it's not going to be $450,000. What the amount will be, I don't know. I have no idea. But to me, it it's matter. the principle here. It's the principle. I don't care it's, if it's 45 It's not the dollar amount. Right. That, that's my it, thing here. If I, I said this before you came on, Pete, if you rob a liquor store and you get sent to a holding facility awaiting You're trial, separated. you don't get to bring your kid with you. Exactly. And, and, and if you don't get to get, get, bring your kid with you, if there was consistency in the Biden administration, you, upon leaving that cell, when you're done with your, when your case is, is over and your, your term has been served, you now deserve, his words, deserve compensation for being exactly separated right. from your child. You're separated from your child, and think about it. In, in the United States, American citizens who commit crimes that are even the functional equivalent or, or in terms of the, the adverse impact on society are no different than coming across illegally where a lot of these guys are committing crimes in addition to crossing the border illegally. And yet the level of compensation is so much greater. You're losing your kid too. Your kid, you're being separated from your kid. But more importantly, what about those honorable men and women who serve in the United States military who are temporarily separated from their kids too? If, and what about when they're permanently separated from their kids and the rest of the family receives compensation far less than what's at least been proposed and which I ultimately believe will be paid out to illegal immigrants if Biden, well, whoever's running the administration has his or her I think that's, way. I think, um, I think the families of uh, 9-11 victims also got far less than that uh, in, in settlements. Yeah, so, and, and we don't you know, have apparently... to make comparisons, Bob. We don't have to make comparisons. Even if there was nothing like that occurring in the United States of America, I mean, with respect to compensation to American parents, this is wrong on every level. And thankfully, the American people are saying, no mas. We don't want this stuff. It's dumb. It's stupid. And one of the things that could start to put brakes on this is, if you looked at, everyone's been talking about the um, Virginia election, deservedly so. I didn't call it correctly. I thought it was going to be much closer than it actually was. I'm pleasantly surprised. But nonetheless... Uh, Look at the border district along the Rio Grande in uh, Texas. 77% Hispanic went for Joe Biden by, I think it was 27 points in 2016, flipped Republican by eight points. This is the kind of stuff that's scaring the heck out of sane Democrats, but it also indicates there's hope in America. People are sick and tired 
just in nine to ten months of the lunacy that they have been see, seeing coming from the Biden administration and uh, not just the Biden administration, but generally from the left generally, and um, I start for repeating myself there, but also from their handmaidens in the media who have been covering things. I, I, you know, I, you've taken an interest in seeing how they're covering things right now. Consider for a moment, and I'm going a little bit off on a tangent, but I've got so much to say on this stuff. Right now, Biden has a 38% approval rating. Um, he has plummeted more than any first-year president in our lifetimes. From the date he came into office to the present, I mean, it's been a spectacular decline. And uh, Cackles, um, well, the vice president, can't remember her name, um, her approval rating is only 28%. I think that's the lowest in history. It is. It is. All, all, of, that, all, that, all of that's deservedly so. Um, all of that decline is um, a function of, of you know, a number of things they've been doing, of, of course, and people are taking the measure of them in terms of their competency. But consider that Biden has universal, with the exception of maybe Fox News and a couple of other publications, universal support from the media despite debacle after debacle after debacle. You watch the media after one of his debacles, and they either don't cover it at all. So in other words, a significant portion of the American people don't see what's going on, yet it somehow filters down to them. How? Because they're feeling it. They don't have to be told what's happening. But nonetheless... 95% of the media is pumping this guy up, and still, he has only a 38% approval rating. You may remember, Bob, I mentioned on your show a while back, that there was a study from about 15, 20 years ago where two professors, I think it was from either Berkeley or Stanford, it was on the West Coast, who created this model for determining how much impact media support has on a candidate. And long story short is, they found that the candidates supported by the media got at least a five-point bump over his uh, non-supported rival. Mm -hmm. Five-point bump. That was before the media had gone completely nuts and abdicated their responsibility or even trying to give some semblance to being impartial. Five points. It's now more like 10, 15 points. So consider where he would be if we had a neutral media that was objectively reporting facts. Yeah, and that that would, of course, will never happen. And consider how popular President Trump was. His policies, if not him the man, would be if the media actually covered those policies fairly, too. Uh, that's not going to happen. However, the media is engaged in some sort of cover-up now of their original take on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which, of course, is yep. very, very central to so much of what is going on in this country now with the racial riots of a year ago. And we all know what happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin. But what nobody saw coming is what's happened this past four or five days in that trial. I want to get your analysis of that, Peter Kersenow, when we continue and the media coverage of it on AM 1420 The Answer. Download the free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 1024. We continue now with Peter Kersenow. Peter, this Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and I don't know, how, have you followed it very closely, Pete? 
Uh, not really. I mean, you know, I every time I pass the TV, it seems to be on. But I've, I, you know, I look. I threw out. Are you are you aware that prosecution things. witnesses destroyed the prosecution's I, case? I saw that. I did see that segment, and I think I saw it as it was happening. I, I was walking really? past the television in our building, and while he was testifying, and it really stunned me. I'll tell you if, if I'm correct about this. Well, he was asked I, again. I saw about you 45 mm-hmm. seconds, and the the cross examination indicated that, and there was film of this, of course, but the cross-examination indicated that he had his hands up while Kyle Rittenhouse was on his back and had his rifle. And he admitted, meaning this gross crutes, I think his name is, that um, it wasn't until he lowered, meaning gross crutes, had lowered his arms and aimed his Glock at Rittenhouse that he shot him. In other words, Rittenhouse had a reasonable apprehension that he was going to be shot, which is the basis for self-defense. The basis of self-defense. And that is only part of the testimony, by the way. Prosecution witnesses that destroyed the prosecution's case. Now, I, I I want to make that very clear so that I can share some of this with you. This is the way the media covered the Kyle Rittenhouse case before the trial. They already knew that this guy was guilty, and they were not ashamed or afraid to say so. Kenosha shooter Kyle Rittenhouse, he murdered two people, by the way. Rittenhouse is basically what you would have had in a school shooter. He's a 17-year-old kid. He shouldn't have had a gun. He crossed state lines to supposedly protect property. No, he was going out to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, a vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the armed teenage vigilante. A 17-year-old vigilante. Arguably a domestic terrorist picked up a rifle, drove to a different state to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, a guy who's deeply racist, went with weapons to a Black Lives Matter protest looking to get in trouble. He did. He murdered a couple of people. Rittenhouse, uh, the 17-year-old kid, just running around shooting and killing protesters. That's just a taste of it, Peter. There is much, much more from the mainstream media. Now, that's prior to the trial. Now, in the trial, after what you just described, and others, including witnesses testifying that they were asked by the prosecution to commit perjury, asking, would you change your testimony if I showed you this picture? All of these things have have been brought to light now. It's very clear that Kyle Rittenhouse should not even be on trial. There is nowhere near enough evidence to reasonably think you'd get a conviction. But Peter, despite all of those things being brought out in open court, here's the coverage. CBS News. Lone survivor shot by Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha testifies he thought he was going to die. Gage Grosskurtz um, says he fi- feared for his life before Rittenhouse shot him during yeah. the Kenosha riots. N- uh, NBC, Kyle Rittenhouse shooting victim says he thought he was going to die. Nobody is leading with the story that is exactly that is Kyle Rittenhouse shooting quote unquote victim admits he pointed his gun at Kyle Rittenhouse before being shot thereby proving the case for self defense Pete even when they're busted even when they're just caught red handed trying to change the story they continue to do so yeah, great minds, Bob, because I thought the same thing. After seeing that little blurb when I was walking past the television, I was curious that evening to see how the press was going to be covering it, and it struck me. Uh, what I saw was they virtually ignored that blockbuster testimony. There was hardly any reference, in, reference to it whatsoever. And if you go online, the major media completely ignored that. They have a narrative to perpetuate, and the reason I think they can get away with it is, well, for a long time they have been, but also the media has been in lockstep, with the exception of a few Republican, not Republican, conservative-leaning outlets like a Fox or maybe some others, you won't hear 
the facts. You won't hear about, for example, or, or just touched upon briefly, all the other things that the left has screwed up big time. They ignore those things. All the things that Biden has done that have screwed up the country, they soft pedal that. When you look at the Virginia outcome, I watched some of the media coverage because I was curious what they were going to do about that. And they soft pedal that, or they, 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 they don't more than soft pedal it. They had a universal response that this was the result of generally, they didn't say it necessarily directly, although many did, racism. Everything's racist, of course, according to them. There could be no reason that the preferred outcome didn't obtain unless it had to do with racism. All these vastly racist Americans throughout the country. So you're right. And also remember this, the majority of people get their, their you know, uh, news from major media and, uh, you know, the, the phalanx of left-leaning uh, TV stations, etc. But you didn't get the story in the George Floyd issue either, or the Michael Brown case, or many of these cases where media has set the narrative, and then everybody's shocked when, say, somebody gets acquitted, or, you know, the facts turn out differently, because the media has not been doing their jobs. They're issuing propaganda rather than covering news objectively. Now, I don't know well, what's going to happen with the Rittenhouse trial, because I haven't been, been covering it, following the thing, but I know that was devastating. I know he's got some other other charges against him. So we'll see what happens there. And I hope the media covers it, you know, at least with some semblance of objectivity. But more importantly, I hope the jury isn't uh, pressured by what's currently going on. I mean, everyone has been saying that the the jury has been pressured. They've been observed and watched and videotaped uh, because people want a desired outcome. Yeah, uh, that's a great point about the jury, Pete. Um, Legal analysts have said that the moment the defendant, or excuse me, the witness, rather, admitted that he was shot by the defendant only after he pointed his gun at him, legal analysts have said immediately the defense attorney should have moved for a directed verdict right then and there. It's over. Well, you you know, just admitted. I don't know what the status of the trial is, but um, you know, typically you move defense for a directed just opened verdict yesterday. conclusion. Okay, Defense well then, yeah. You, there are certain times when you can move for a directed verdict. I must do it. I shouldn't admit this, but I, in, in the appropriate cases, I do it. Uh, I mean, it's just a matter of how you, you mm-hmm. do it. At the cl- conclusion of your opponent's case, if you believe that there's no material factor, you move for a directed verdict. And then I do it at the conclusion of his case. I do it at the conclusion of my case. You know, I continue to move for a directed verdict. I don't know what the posture of the case is, but yeah. You know, when I heard that, I thought, whoa, buddy, at least with respect to that charge. Right. Yeah, no question. And, you know, my big, big big picture here, Pete, and we'll talk about this on the other side, is I just don't believe we can trust the criminal justice system any longer. It's been taken over by the social justice system. And the only that's the only explanation as to how and why Kyle Rittenhouse is standing trial in Wisconsin right now. Because when there was clearly no evidence whatsoever to have him indicted and, and to, to foresee, uh, reach a, a foreseeable verdict of guilty. There is no way, shape, or form with the witnesses and the evidence that they have, which is none, that this kid should even be standing trial. This is a social justice trial, not a criminal justice trial, and that's a big, big problem. We'll talk more about that and more coming up with Kirsten now after the news. AM 1420, the America, a wake-up call, courtesy of the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, we continue now, <clears throat> excuse me, with uh, Peter Kersenau on AM 1420, The Answer. 
talking about the Brandon, Brandon administration policy of paying illegal aliens for breaking our laws and bringing their kids along with them. Pete talked about the Rittenhouse trial now as well and the death of the criminal justice system and the rise of the social justice system. Now let's talk about the death of liberty in this country. Uh, we talked about this last week, and I want to follow up on it now that Joe Biden has indeed said, I don't care about your little separate but equal three uh, branches of government. Uh, I am going to make the rules. I don't care what judges say. I don't care what legislators say. That's the only way to read his uh, decision to tell his press secretary to go out there and ignore the Fifth Circuit judges, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, who halted this OSHA order, citing, quote, grave statutory and constitutional issues with the OSHA vaccine mandate. <clears throat> Despite that stay uh, by, the, uh, by the Fifth Circuit, Biden sent his press secretary, deputy press secretary, out there to say, we don't want people to wait. Continue to go out and get this done. Employers, get this done. Uh, it is, it is of, of, uh, of, of some matter of some urgency that we get this done quickly. And Pete, the first thing I thought of was what we talked about in the summertime, uh, about the, uh, uh, the, um, um, emergent, or the uh, moratorium on evictions. Um, a court said, no, you cannot do that anymore. Landlords have to be able to collect their rent in order to be able to pay their bills. This is over now. And Joe Biden told them to continue it anyway and said, by the time this goes to the Supreme Court as we appeal it, we'll have already done enough damage, if you will. So, Pete, this isn't, this isn't the kind of thing where there's ambiguity here. He is, he is ignoring a court order as if the executive branch is Animal Farm a little more equal here than the judiciary branch, judicial branch. Well, you remember at the outset of the Trump administration, there were injunctions that were being issued on a whole manner of things. His uh, immigration order um, that they claimed was an anti-Muslim, which it was not. It right. was a sane order. And uh, some other orders, too. They were in, they, they'd constantly file for injunction, injunctive relief. Now, uh, to be fair and be analytical about this, there is at least a debate as to, and or there has been at least an academic debate, and frank, frankly, uh, the, a better person to talk about this probably would be someone like Jonathan Adler. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, sometimes I play one of those guys on TV. I know a little bit about, about this stuff. I've been before the D.C. Circuit on a number of occasions. There's at least an academic argument as to whether or not national injunctions are lawful or whether or not the injunction should only apply for a particular circuit or where the decision was made. And I think you can posit strong arguments either way. I happen to think that the better argument is it should only apply for a given circuit, and there are only but very good arguments could be made that, for example, under Article 3, that there's no specific definition of that constrains judicial power, but I think the better argument is that, you know, case in controversy, you only have to uh, judge or a circuit can only adjudicate a matter, or a district court within a circuit can only adjudicate a matter related to the parties before it. Okay, um, and it can't go more broadly than that. So, I mean, there are arguments there, but the point is that they are being disingenuous and they are completely flouting what they were saying for four years under the Trump administration. But more importantly, it's I think when you look at the ETS, the Emergency Temporary Standard itself, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I've been doing OSHA work for nearly 40 years, Bob. I, I know this stuff fairly well. I'm not going to say that I'm the best in the world at this, but I know it uh, reasonably well. First of all, there's a real question 
and by that I mean, <laughs> when I say a real question, I'm putting it mildly, as to whether under the emergency temporary standard that's been in effect for approximately almost 40 years now, but hardly ever used, whether or not OSHA has the authority to do this, that is to mandate vaccines. And I would argue very strongly, as I think plaintiffs in the Fifth Circuit are arguing, those who are seeking to attain an injunction, that OSHA does not have this broad-based authority. But beyond that, and there's several reasons for that, and I won't bore your listeners with it, but the bigger one is that, and it's the most obvious one, that this is an emergency temporary standard, emergency temporary standard. COVID has been around now for going on two years now. Where is the emergency? If this was an emergency, the agency should have promulgated the standard at least a year ago. But the other argument with respect to this, and there's more than one than two arguments, but another argument with respect to this procedurally is it is clear that what they're doing here, and they've even said it, that they're trying to obviate the Administrative Procedure Act requirements related to notice and rulemaking, having a hearing on these things. In other words, this should be done in a democratic fashion the way we do all things in the United States of America, especially something this broad-based, this impactful. You're simply having some administrators being able to dictate something like this, such an invasive procedure, invasive not just from a physical standpoint, but from an employment standpoint standpoint where you could potentially you lose your job. This is truly extraordinary. And what they're doing here is circumventing Administrative Procedure Act requirements that require that they've got to go through a process that is vetted, that many stakeholders have an opportunity to uh, uh, present their positions as to the benefits and detriments of the proposed rule. But instead, they're circumventing that and and uh, I think they're trotting all over the Commerce Clause because we saw in a number of cases, including the Obamacare case, that these types of concern do not have an effect, the, uh, the necessary effect on commerce to give the federal government authority to do these kinds of things. There's a host of issues related to this. I tend to think plaintiffs, as I said before, plaintiffs will prevail in the Fifth Circuit or anyone else anywhere else that they bring it, maybe not in the ninth, although the ninth has lately been not as insane as they used to be, but there's no limiting principle to this rule or the promulgation of any other intrusive rules if this is permitted to stand. Very, very well argued, Peter Kersenow. And with respect to you know OSHA, whether they have standing or authority to issue this that you just talked about, such a mandate, I talked to Jim Jordan about this, and I assume you're going to think the same way, but... Um, why don't they just take all of the guesswork out of it? Why don't they just pass a law? Why doesn't Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer put their little heads together and come up with a mandate bill to get it passed and then to get send it to Joe Biden and sign it? Now, it's a law. Now, there's no, there's no uh, ambiguity to this at all. This is just the reality of it. If you want to work in America, you must have this vaccine. It's a law. Why don't you think that the Democratic leadership in the Congress would, uh, would, would be working on that, Pete? Oh, because they're trying to duck responsibility. That's why. Because they'd have to be held accountable. And that's why we have a, this is a bigger issue. I mean, this is a big, big, big issue that is requiring people through the workplace to be vaccinated. I mean, that's a big deal, an intrusion of that, of that nature. But in so many other things, 
Congress has delegated its responsibility to unelected, faceless bureaucrats who we can't find. They're unaccountable. We can't do anything about it. It is the, the essence of authoritarianism. They don't have, meaning the Pelosi's of the world, any accountability for the actions that they're taking. They love this kind of stuff. They don't have to be answerable to the people. They could never get this passed through Congress. You see the uproar that we have across the country with respect to even before the ETFs, any other kinds of mandates that employers require of their employees. There is, you know, we've got thousands of nurses, firefighters, police officers, Navy SEAL, you name it. People don't, Aaron Rodgers, you know, <laughs> we've got so many people and they have good faith reasons for not wanting to get the vaccine. If the federal government elected officials had to be accountable for this, boy, you know, they, they would simply not do anything, I think, because they don't want to be answerable to the people. They saw what happened to, you know, those who had overreached. They saw what happened to Terry McAuliffe. They saw what happened to a lot of other folks, and they don't want to be in that posture. Yeah, there's no question. They would they would actually have to put their name on the record as voting for this mandate, which is going to be deeply unpopular. And, and by the way, I'm glad you brought up Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers gets covid uh, and he is just dragged by the national media, by the left, by Terry Bradshaw, by others, by Geraldo Rivera on uh, on Hannity last night, uh, talking about how uh, you know he sneezes on his teammates and he sweats on his teammates, and then they take that back to their families. He's putting so many lives in danger, and I just found that so hilarious, considering the fact that also yesterday we found out Nick Chubb just tested positive for uh, yeah, for unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately <laughs> for for the Browns uh, and for him. But, He'll be okay. But, but, but Nick Chubb but is let's vaccinated. Say, Bob, let's face it. Let's face it. Do you know of any NFL players who have died? I don't mean to go even to the extent of dying or anything else like that. But for somebody like a Nick Chubb, all due respect, I, you know, I hope he gets well, but he will. He will. These are the healthiest, strongest, most robust people on the face of the earth. But that's Does not the point, though. That's not the point. Him? It's the way they're treating them. It, 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 Pete, they both have the same positive diagnosis. One is a pariah who's losing. Thank God he didn't lose State Farm, but he lost another endorsement. He's being dragged, like I said, uh, as being irresponsible and so forth. Uh, he got the same thing that the vaccinated guy got. They're both sweating. They're both uh, sneezing. They're both uh, breathing on their teammates and so on who bring that stuff home to their families. One of them is a pariah. The other one is an unfortunate victim, Nick Chubb, but he'll be okay. That That's my issue here. It's the way they're treating these guys as if and Aaron Aaron Rodgers is a mass killer in waiting because he got COVID while being unvaccinated. And Nick Chubb is just, uh, you know, hopefully he'll test negative and be able to play on Sunday because he's been vaccinated. The same guys, the same jobs, the same circumstances got COVID. The vaccine didn't help one over the other. And one is a pariah. The other one is, you know, like I said, a victim in this case and soon to be revered as a hero again. That's my issue. Well- well, yeah, well, that, well, I've got another issue, and it does have to do with whether or not these guys are actually in any kind of jeopardy or will be placing anybody in jeopardy. Because I think if, for example, if, it were, or if, if this was smallpox or something like that, we'd have a different discussion about this. But we have so, and I don't mean to you know, downplay COVID. People have died from it. People have gotten gravely ill from it. But in the grand scheme of things, we are really overreacting in terms of draconian policies we've been establishing and how we're treating people, like you said, and Aaron Rodgers. The, the fact of the matter is there's another element to this. It's not merely whether or not you are 
getting a vaccine for yourself or you may be spreading it. It's that you are getting a vaccine, something that has shown to have its own deleterious effects. People have had certain reactions to it. In addition, there's a real question of getting whether getting the vaccine has a marginal or a great effect on whether or not you have the ability to transmit. The science on this, like they like to talk about, is all over the map. And right now it appears that, you know, there may be a very uh, a lowered rate of transmission if you've been vaccinated, but not completely uh, foolproof. So there's a lot to this. What's amazing to me is that everybody seems to take positions on this, and especially the pro-vaccine side that says if you don't do this stuff, you are somehow typhoid Mary, that you, you have no uh, concern for your fellow man and the freedom aspect of this is completely ignored. You must robotically follow what the um, orders are from the establishment on this. And if you don't, you're the most evil person in the world. I think that's what a lot of people are rebelling against because and it's, it's, it has something to do with the science on this, but also has something to do with, as I said before, you know, just because something is legal doesn't mean it's right. Well, just because something may have some merit doesn't mean there's not a countervailing argument that says, whoa, buddy, maybe we shouldn't be going de- quite down this path where we say everybody must be vaccinated or you get fired or everybody who doesn't get vaccinated is an evil and awful person and that's where we are right now that's deeply troubling there's a host of reasons why some people don't want to get vaccinated these are good people they're smart people a lot of these people have really thought about this much more than people like me i simply stuck my arm out and said you know i look give me a vaccine uh but there are people who've given us much more deliberations and i i I respect those people more than i do myself because i just simply said okay i'm going to capitulate get the vaccine so i have to think about this thing i didn't do it because because of public opprobrium, I did because I thought, eh, you know what, on balance, this is the best thing for me. Yeah, and um, there is more and more evidence, more and more evidence that we are just being lied to by the big pharmaceutical companies who are jamming this stuff into our arms. Pfizer is, in my estimation, uh, a fraud. And you can spell that with a PF at the front if you want to. Pfizer is a fraud. They told us that this was extraordinarily 90-plus percent uh, uh, efficacy, 90-plus percent safe and effective, and so on and so forth. Well, then almost, what, three, four months after they started jabbing millions of people, they said, yeah, by the way, it's kind of waning, so we're recommending a third dose, a third booster, if you will, for the immunocompromised population. That lasted all of about a month and a half, Pete, because now today they are announcing um, a new boost is needed for every adult age 18 and over in other words all of their law all of their promises rather were lies all of their promises of this protecting your neighbors because now you're vaccinated you won't get sick and you won't make them sick lies people are getting sick they're not breakthrough anymore it's just another vaccinated uh, uh, um, infection so why are they pushing now a third dose and why would people be getting in line for it if the first two didn't work if they're just as vulnerable to variants as non-vaccinated people, why would they be in line getting dose number three? If I go to a restaurant and have the same meal twice and both times it tastes like dog crap, I'm not going for a third bite. I'm not doing it. It doesn't work. And yet this is what they are now saying. People 18 and over should get it, a third dose. And pretty soon, what are we, two months away, Peter, from another mandate? If you only got the first two, you will be considered for, uh, by OSHA standards, unvaccinated. You, if you didn't get your third dose, you're still unvaccinated. You must do that to keep your job. And then, Peter Kirsten, now I ask you, how the hell long does that go on? 
Yeah, and that's the real problem, in addition to which we are only now getting a trickle of information as to possible long-term effects of this. There, there, there's, remember, these were emergency approvals. Everyone had been so freaked out about this thing that everything was rushed through and we had emergency. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily disputing that, you know, we shouldn't have done that. But the point is, we still don't have the corpus of evidence that you typically have in a matter like this with respect to vaccinations and medicine that we normally have. And we're starting to see a lot of downsides to this that people either hadn't anticipated or it's happening at a much more prevalent level than we had anticipated. Especially, we don't really know what happens to kids. Who knows, right. not just what's going to happen two months <laughs> from now or two years from now, but two decades from now. And yet we're jabbing, exactly. jabbing, jabbing, jabbing. And I say, take a look at the other side of it. Yes, people die from this. I'm not going to downplay it. And yes, people um, get sick from it. But let's be sane about this. The majority of people, all due respect to those who are not, don't fall into the category I'm about to exp- uh, describe, Real quick, the majority people of people who have negative consequences have... You know, they're older and have certain comorbidities. Concentrate at first and and last on those people. It really scares me when they start talking about 5-year-olds to 12-year-olds. I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, Pete, hey, Pete, it gets worse. Headline this morning, Moderna testing COVID-19 vaccine on infants nationwide despite negligible risk from the virus. So 5 to 12, ha, hold my beer. Peter Kirsten, now thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Bob. 10.55, 10.55, back to wrap after this. All right, 10.58, just barely enough time to wrap this one up this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks to Pete. Thanks to uh, Jim Jordan, who joined us earlier on. Um, if I can send you away with uh, something today, I want to send you away with this from our show. And by the way, don't go away. Stay right here because we got Mike Gallagher and Charlie Kirk and Dennis Prager and Dr. G and Larry Alder. And if you want conservative talk radio, there's really literally nowhere else you can go to get it better. But uh, as you leave this show today, let me send you with this. Contact your state representative. Contact your state senator. Contact the president of the Ohio State Senate, Senate Matt Huffman. Contact the Speaker of the Ohio House, Bob Cup. Demand that they change this redistricting map. Demand that they retract their goal of trying to uh, force Jim Jordan out of Congress, all at the behest of Mike DeWine and other rhinos who hate Jordan and Trump. Demand that the 4th District remain where it is, or that he not be pitted up against a deeply Democratic incumbent in a deeply Democratic blue county. Demand that we keep our representatives where they are. That's what I send you away with today. We'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.